0: The reading is from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's topic is The Best Way to Worship. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In Chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. John, the woman of Samaria asked Jesus, where is the best place to worship? This question might be expanded to include, what is the best church? What is the best religion? What is, the, is it important to go on pilgrimage to holy shrines? What is the best ritual? What is the best mantra or prayer? Jesus cut across all such questioning with his reply. The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It was not that outer considerations of place, church, ritual, etc. are irrelevant. Each person should find those practices and observances which are compatible with his own nature, one might say with his own vibrations. Not everyone's natural path is the same. God sent different religions into the world to satisfy different human needs. The overarching concern, however, considering that the goal is to find God, is to include in one's worship daily inner communion with the Lord. God is silence. He must be sought, therefore, in inner silence. God is absolute love. He must be sought, therefore, in the silence of love. God is spirit and thus immaterial. He must be sought above all in the expanding peace of deep meditation. Thus the Bhagavad Gita states in the sixth chapter, sequestered should he sit, steadfastly meditating, solitary, his thoughts controlled, his passions laid away from every craving for possession freed. Wherever you are, Whatever your outward beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your own soul. Thus, through holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. oh.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see some of you, (laughs) yes, and your smiles peeking out. The smile in your eyes. So nice to be together this morning. (laughs) What a beautiful topic we have, the best way to worship. I'm going to start with a poem from Whispers from Eternity. This is one of my favorites, although I probably could say that about most of these. This is, I was made for thee. I was made for Thee alone. I was made for dropping flowers of devotion gently at Thy feet on the altar of the morning. My hands were made to serve Thee willingly, to remain folded in adoration, waiting for Thy coming. And when Thou comest, to bathe Thy feet with my tears. My voice was made to sing Thy glory My feet were made to seek thy temples everywhere. My eyes were made a chalice to hold thy burning love and the wisdom falling from thy nature's hands. My ears were made to catch the music of thy footsteps echoing through the halls of space and to hear thy divine melodies flowing through all heart tracks of devotion. My lips were made to breathe forth thy praises and thine intoxicating inspirations. My love was made to throw incandescent searchlight flames to find thee hidden in the forest of my desires. My heart was made to respond to thy call alone. My soul was made to be the channel through which thy love might flow uninterruptedly Into all thirsty souls. This poem is such a beautiful example of the best way to worship, which is with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul, with all our strength to love God. And not because God demands that of us or is the right thing to do, but because it's who we are. We are that divine spark. And so to worship God is just natural for us. And so we just find whatever natural way that is that helps us to remember who we really are. That's our job as devotees, is to remember that divine within. And the Master's come to help us, to remind us. We have this beautiful story of the woman of Samaria, which we hear just a little bit of in this reading today. And, you know, she asks, What is the best way to worship? But Master tells us that she was actually a fallen disciple. And that Jesus came to the well specifically to meet her and to find her and to reveal himself to her and remind her of who he was and ultimately of who she was also as a disciple. And so they have this interesting exchange and at one point he says, you know, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink of my living water. And she doesn't quite get it yet. <laughs> and she says, how, how are you going to draw water from this well? You have nothing. It's deep. You have nothing to draw with. And he says, those who drink of this well will thirst again. But those who drink of my well, of my living water, will never thirst. And she starts, she starts to get it then. And as I was thinking about this, it really is an invitation for us to think about what well we're drinking from, what well we're trying to, where we're trying to quench our thirst. We have all these, you know, he's talking about the well of material desire, of ego desire, and of spirit. And so often we're trying to quench our thirst with those material desires, running from well to well. Sometimes, <laughs> maybe with uh, trying to achieve success in our work or trying to have the perfect relationship or the perfect home, whatever it is that we're trying to find that happiness, that joy. We're trying to quench that thirst, but ultimately we just end up thirsty. None of it lasts. And so the invitation here and what I find so beautiful and reassuring of this story is that no matter what well we go to, the master is there. He's waiting for us. He's waiting to reveal himself to us and to remind us of who we are and to give us that drink of that living water. And our job is to sip that living water in the silence, in the stillness of meditation, to practice that daily. All of the masters come to remind us of that truth and to remind us to worship in spirit and in truth. And in truth means through our own direct experience, to go beyond the theory, beyond the ideas, beyond the mind, beyond the intellect. And what's so beautiful about this path of self-realization, what Yogananda brought to us, is all these techniques through which we can have that direct experience of the Divine. Right from the beginning, we have the energization practice. Right? And we can have that direct experience of that divine energy and that power in every cell of our being, that cosmic consciousness. And we have Hong Sa, and we can have that experience through our concentration of that divine peace within. We don't have to take anyone's word for it. We don't have to do it just because someone said we should do it. We're doing it because it brings us that experience of the divine, and it reminds us of who we really are. And we have the practice of Kriya Yoga, which brings us into union with that divine bliss, with that joy that we're seeking to quench our thirst. So beautiful. Sister Gyanamata was a great woman disciple of Yogananda and a great saint. And in her writings, she was talking about a meditation experience that she had had, I think it was early on, and she was just talking about how beautiful it was, and really how hard it was to truly describe it. And then at the end, she put this question, What will it be like by and by when I arrive at real meditation? And that phrase, real meditation, I think what she's touching on is exactly what Jesus is talking about, to worship in spirit to go beyond the techniques even, to go beyond the ego and to go into that complete union, back into our home in God. Because really God watches the heart. It's not our outward activities. It's that inner communion and that inner pilgrimage that we make each day in our meditation. There's a story of a king who loved God very much And so he decided he wanted to build a temple. And so he got together all the best builders, the best architects, best designers, and they built this magnificent temple. And it was ready for its dedication. And so the king prayed to God, please come to my temple dedication this Sunday. And he heard the response, I'm sorry, but I'm going to another temple in the village. And the king was like, How could that be? How could there be another temple more beautiful, more magnificent than the one that I've built for God? So he went to the village and he went around and was asking everyone, where is this temple? Where is this temple dedication? God said he was coming, where is it? And no one knew what he was talking about. One of the villagers said, well, you know, maybe go and ask the sadhu. You know, he keeps silence most of the time, but he's a very wise man. Maybe go and ask, ask him, maybe he'll know where this temple is. And so the king goes to the sadhu who lives in this little humble hut, and he asks him, you know, I I talked to God, and he told me that he's coming to some other temple. And the sadhu said, thank you, thank you. I have been building a temple in my heart, brick by brick, with my devotion, with my worship, in my meditation, and I've asked God to come, And now I know that he's coming, thank you. And the king then understood that God watches the heart, that it's not our outward activities, that it's that inner communion in that silence, in that stillness that brings God's response. That's what God loves most of all, is our sincerity and our devotion and our love. In the Bhagavad Gita it says, even a leaf when offered with pure intention, I receive as a symbol of the devotee's love. And so it's not so much just showing up and going through the motions or creating you know, beautiful service. All of those things are important. All of those things are good. But we need to do it with that spirit of love and devotion. That's what really brings it alive. So I had this interesting experience when I was living in Costa Rica, I was teaching there and uh, living in this little tiny town in the mountains and living with a host family. And I was invited to dinner, which wasn't unusual. And so I went to their house and there were 20 or 30 people in this tiny little living room. I thought, hmm, I think perhaps I've misunderstood something, which also wasn't unusual because, you know, I was still learning Spanish at that time and there were a lot of miscommunications. Well, it turns out they were there to um, say the rosary uh, for the patron saint of Costa Rica, which is the uh, Black Madonna. And so I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll just go along with this. I mean, it's, you know, I was raised Catholic. I'm familiar with the rosary. It's not really my thing, but you know, no harm in just being here and going along with it. And it turned out to be such a powerful experience it wasn't really anything i could put my finger on but we started praying and there were children there and they were praying and everybody had these smiles on their faces and there was just such a palpable joy in the room just such a sense of devotion and grace that just filled the room and i just i'd never had an experience like that it just you know to me, the rosary was just like you know something you say in church, and then you go home and go on with your life. And to just have that experience of the spirit of worship, to really feel that in the heart, and to see that around me, it was just so beautiful. And the interesting thing is, I had a similar experience when I came to Ananda. I started going to the kirtans that we were having in, uh, in Rhode Island, and I had chanted before. I was familiar with it. It was beautiful. But there was something different. It was so much more alive. It was so much more um, just the devotion and the love that was just infused in that chanting. I could just feel it. I, I You know, it's beyond words, <laughs> beyond facility to express in this moment. But I think everyone who's here, everyone who's watching, we've had at least a touch of that, of that direct experience. And it's just, um, it just, we feel the nearness of God in those moments. He doesn't feel so far away. It feels, you know, he's the nearest of the near, the dearest of the dear, as Yogananda said. And to just really bring that into our meditations with our thought, to really think, God is near. He's not far. He's right here with us. We, you know, we're a part of that. That true worship is that inner communion and that dissolving of any sense of separation that God is far or that we're even far from each other. I think it's so beautiful this week we had this beautiful choir concert and we just completely dissolved all time and space (laughs) and came together to just feel that union, to feel that joy to feel that devotion is so beautiful. And why are we able to feel that? Because we've practiced that in meditation, because we dissolve that sense of separation through our meditation, and we practice that inner communion. Someone once asked Anandamoy Ma, a great woman saint, to visit another country. And she said, why should I travel there? I'm there already. And that's what we have to practice in our meditation. You have him already. There's no place to go. Not really, there's nothing really to do except to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every thought, with everything that you are, to bring that into every meditation and then to bring that out into everything that you do. They say the spiritual path is three feet long from the base of the spine to the spiritual eye. And so we have this opportunity every day to take that inner pilgrimage and to come to that altar of spirit and of stillness within and then to carry that into our day to, as Yogananda said, to those who think me near, I will be near. So with our, just with our thought, we can bring God near in this moment, in this breath, to just feel him with us, to keep him close. I'd like to close with this quote from Rajasi that uh, was shared recently on Rajasi Day, our day of service. And it's from uh, writings of Durga Mata in her trilogy of divine love. She says, Rajasi was talking to a group of us and rubbing over his heart. And he said, this is where you feel master. Bring all of your consciousness here and you will feel little master. He is here bringing your consciousness from the coccyx to the heart. You will see and feel little master here. It is not I. I have completely lost the consciousness of my own self. It is all master. Master talking, master walking, master speaking because master is everywhere. So whether Yogananda is your guru and you keep him in your heart, or some other saint or some divine quality, to always feel that in your heart and to feel that wherever you go, the master is waiting for you by that well to give you that living water, to remind you of his presence, to reveal himself and most of all, to remind you of your own divine quality within, that spark of the divine within. So let us go through the week with Master, with God in our hearts, thinking of him and keeping him near. God bless.
2: Though fallen deep in sin by men abandoned if longing for his Truth be your guide, he can redeem you.